there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your main man, Chris Mechanic. We have an amazing guest here for you today. Uh, She is a veteran marketer. She actually got her start in market research, which kickstarted like a real affinity for data and insights. And she parlayed that into big growth for brands like Upwork, American Express, Farmers Insurance, The Nature's Conservancy. Uh, In 2020, she won the Demand Gen B2B Innovator Award. Uh, Then she went to Keep, where she started as VP Growth, but was very quickly promoted to CMO. So she's currently CMO of Keep, uh, which you may know as Infusionsoft. Uh, They rebranded to Keep a, a while back. But they are a $100 million uh, annual run rate startup that brings the power of marketing and sales automation to SMBs. So a hot space, um, an awesome guest, which I'm super excited to be speaking with. Ladies and gentlemen, say hello to Miss Kirsten Markson. How are you, Kirsten? I'm great. It's great to be here. And thank you for, for nailing the pronunciation of my name. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it can be a my challenge. Pleasure. It's my pleasure. I bet I bet you get all types. You probably get Kristen sometimes even. I get a lot of Kristen. Yep. Just people that are reading too quickly. Yep. But no, that's how we roll. That's how we roll. <laughs> and on the topic of how we roll, you know we like to lead with value. So we always like to open up with uh with one of your best kept secrets. So why don't you tell everybody what is one of your best kept secrets to the success you've been able to create in your career? Yeah, and I don't know if it's a it's a real secret, but um, I I think one of my superpowers is listening. So that takes place in kind of a lot of different ways. But you mentioned my start in research and listening to the market and really understanding what your customers want to hear and how they want to you know how they're thinking about their own problems, the language that they use. That applies also how I try to manage my team. I want to listen to the people who are in the work and really understand deeply the details. And that allows you to make better solutions. So I think we we undervalue sitting back and listening, taking in a lot of information. And those early roles in market research really honed that skill for me, looking across the landscape. What are the trends? How are people talking about this? What actually matters? Um, because when you sit in a marketing job, you can kind of get used to your own your own story. But we have to be storytellers that bring people in. And that requires listening and understanding what they're thinking about, what their day-to-day looks like. So I get into a lot of those details. And I think once you've done that, you also need to communicate that out to your team and to your stakeholders. Like, this is why this matters. You have to be a storyteller internally, too, to tell that story, to explain why you're doing what you're doing, how your market is is thinking about things, and really translate that both directions really, really well. Um, and that can be challenging because we get into our own heads sometimes. We use jargon that people don't understand. Um, we we think things are important that may not be important to our actual buyers and our market. And um, it's really important to just keep honing that ability to take in information, to listen, to read, to get in the details, to look at the product feedback. Those are some of the things that I do to um, to tell that story and then make it actionable in the organization. So we learn something. What are we going to do about it? It doesn't need to go in a deck that's like a doorstop for somebody. It has to be 
something that we use to inform our process, our feedback loops, our, our messaging. Um, and, and that's really the, the secret is to make it actionable and to really talk through it, to think about it and put it into practice. Because too often, I think research sits on the shelf in, in a marketing organization and in any organization. So how do you actually use that to inform your strategy and really design something that's going to be attractive to your buyers, that speaks their language, that makes them interested and sit up and say, hey, I want to learn more about that? Because that's really the core of marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. And it's it's a little bit counterintuitive, right? That to be a good storyteller, like the essence of being a good storyteller actually comes down to the listening that takes place before you're even telling the story. I believe that. I really do. And I think that that's, it's a, it's a back and forth. You want to be telling the story, but also listening to how it's received. So that's that all of that, um, all of those feedback loops are really important. And I do think before speaking, it's often really important to, to really immerse yourself with with the conversation and customers and and observe and and I thought about this question um, this morning and I have a degree in anthropology and mm. so I took kind of an unusual path to marketing I have um, degrees in English and anthropology and the only thing that really taught me is observation and taking in lots of information and so I think they're under, listening observing what people are doing so that you can really craft a program that's going to speak to them. Uh, that's really important in marketing. And I do think it's undervalued because we're all trying to be so loud all the time and get attention. But yeah. sometimes it's just before before you jump in, um, take the landscape, really understand what's important to people. That's going to allow you to do a better job telling the story. Yeah. And, and something you said just now really rung true with me is being loud, right? Because that's what I feel like people think that that's what good marketing is about is like, being present, being out there, being loud. Uh, but listening, I know, is very powerful and hard to do also. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit against our nature sometimes. Uh, I think that as I think there's a, a natural human tendency almost to feel awkward in silence, you know, but listening, like in by definition, in order to listen, you have to speak less. And I think sometimes it can mm-hmm. be just downright uncomfortable to speak less. That is Um, true. And that's something that um, I found that as I managed people, I had to get more comfortable with letting the silences sit and see. And 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 they tell you something, right? Like there's something people are thinking, they're 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 kind of judging when to jump in. So allowing that to just be sometimes and let them think and and let the quiet ones invite them into the conversation because often that's where the real um, the real insight is unlocked and the real, the people that you, that you want talking most sometimes are the least loud. <laughs> so finding that balance is really important. And I think um, I came up in agency roles where there was a lot of loud voices and a lot of confident voices, but sometimes it was all about um, amplifying the right ones and and listening differently. And that's really what unlocked the the business, the insight, the connection, or whatever it was that we were trying to do. Yeah. And I think so as a marketer, it can be challenging and counterintuitive to listen. Also as a leader, you know, I think as a leader, you're kind of expected to have answers a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, it can be doubly difficult as a marketing leader to sit back and listen. But I'm curious, like, what are your techniques? Say that you're like in a one, one-on-one conversation with somebody with one of those types that's brilliant that you want them to speak more but Mm -hmm. they're just like naturally sort of quiet how do you get them to to actually speak more is it just 
literally a matter of speaking less and allowing for more silence? Or do you have other sort of cues or, you know, conversational mechanisms that you use to get, get more introverted people actually speaking up more? Well, I think you have to build relationships so people are comfortable. Um, and that's, that's the work that you're doing all the time to make people to kind of unlock what they're interested in, make them comfortable. So in those moments, they're more receptive to that kind of thing. So I think that's something that as a leader, it can be challenging as your team gets bigger and your time is stretched, but kind of knowing what is going on in people's lives, trying to find a way to, to ask and, and, and have a back and forth about that helps. I also asked the question, um, if, if you were sitting in my shoes, what would you need to know or what would you want to know um, that I don't know or that you, we haven't talked about or hasn't been discussed as we've been planning this project? And that's sometimes, um, you know, making it safer to share an opinion um, is is sometimes a thing or just asking for their perspective helps and also modeling that behavior. I, I, I say a lot, not a lot, but probably more than some that I don't know the answer and I want to hear what they think and we're going to come to the answer. And the And the goal of the team is to explore and figure it out together. So sometimes I have a strong opinion that I that I try to, you know, not share in some of those moments and ask them to decide if, you know, what, what do you like this? You know, I get a lot of, here's a creative piece. What do you think? It's like, well, what do you, what do you think? What would you do if you were in my shoes? Um, And that takes practice because I think as leaders, you want to jump in and move fast and say, yes, that's good or bad. And here's why, but the learning doesn't take place then. And the relationship building doesn't take place. So sometimes I, I have to stop myself because I do um, have strong opinions, and I and I do have to move fast, <laughs> but I want to create the space um, to to get their feedback. If they don't feel like it's going to work as well, if we if we go forward at this moment, I want to hear that because they're in the details more than I am, and their their perspective is really important. Yeah, well, I can tell that you are um, elevated as a leader because it's incredibly hard to do. Like when you're when you're moving fast, when you have a strong opinion. Uh, and uh, like almost an assertion, like meaning like you're quite confident in what way, in which way to go. It's incredibly difficult to stop and listen, but I do also love something that you alluded to, which is the kind of like hypothetical questions. It's like, if this were your decision, what would you do? I do lean on those sometimes and myself as a leader, I kind of go through, go through waves where like, you know, I'll read a book such as multipliers. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I'll like read that. I'll get all motivated, you know, and, and I'll just like dial up my patience, you know, I'll just really ratchet up my patience and I'll sit back into one of these modes where I'm just like really listening and asking questions and trying to like pull things out of the team. And that, you know, usually lasts for, you know, a little while. It can be three months or six months, but inevitably I find myself kind of like my natural style is is a little bit more um, direct and just like, hey, let's do this, guys, let's go. Are you are you are you uh, supportive or are you aligned? You know, meaning like, do you love it or are you just going to do it because I'm telling you to? So it's yeah. really hard. I mean, I admire yeah. you if you can do that consistently. Well, I think I'm, you know, like everybody, I go in waves with that too. And there's certain moments that require um, decisiveness and 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 just making the decision and pushing past and and setting the tone. And some, but it it's more beneficial to 
to get more feedback, let it swirl a bit so they you know can come to their own conclusion and best recommendation. So I try to balance that and I certainly you know, go in and out of how how well I'm balancing that. But I think it is important because I want them to feel like they are bought in that these programs that we're launching or these ideas are they they have ownership on them because then they'll care, you know, they'll care about the outcome more. So and with creative people, you don't want to you don't want to squash things in the wrong ways. <laughs> you want right. to let them. Um, so you, want, true. you want them to really um, feel comfortable and um, and and express themselves. But you know, sometimes you have to steer more or less for for good reason. And finding that balance, I think, is is really important for for marketing leaders, but leaders in general. Totally, yeah. And my my business partner, my partner in crime, Arsham, um, he's the best in the world at that. Like he he doesn't go back and forth on the pendulum. He's just like always in that patient and listening mode, for the most part. I mean, he does have his moments sometimes. But um, he's like, I'm like, how can you do that, man? Like, he'll know the answer the whole entire time in his head, but like sit through a whole hour long meeting just like, and you know, to his credit, well, A, our employee retention is like off the charts, like especially in terms of involuntary, uh, involuntary turnover, like folks that we really don't want them to leave. Um, you know, it's close to zero and I, I attribute a lot of that to his ability to just like involve people and allow people to like, he's got just like a really great way of, uh, like he has the idea, you know, like he, like the core of the idea, but he just makes it seem like it's everybody else's idea, you know, and he like allows it to be molded. I don't know. Shout out to Sham for being being awesome in that regard yeah that sounds that sounds uh hard it is hard to do that sounds great so and it's, hard. it's good to find a partner that can balance balance that right when you're yeah building a team yeah he's really like the heart of the org um but i want to talk a little bit about listening as it relates to the actual marketing work that we do and you hear a lot of people talking about data analysis and you hear the word insights thrown around a lot and I think we all know that, you know, raw data gets analyzed and then synthesized down into insights that are actually usable. Can you think of any examples in your career, like either at Keep or in your previous lifetimes where like you were able to uncover by listening and by analyzing just like a brilliant insight that just really changed the game for you? Yeah, I would say we're still in the process of, of, metabolizing some of the insights that we have in at Keep. So I have a lot of uh, examples of that, but the one that's most salient right now, we did a segmentation study last summer that we hadn't gone out with formal research in quite some time. So we we went out, we did a, a full segmentation research study, and we found that the segments that we were most were most prevalent in our customer base um, were probably the ones we wanted least actually because they were the most overwhelmed they were the least confident in how they were building their business so we we market and sell to small business owners and um we have gone through a series of kind of strategy tweaks to, to focus in on our best customers and and that insight about what our customer base looked like versus the market itself we were over indexing in some areas that made logical sense because of the the ways that we had been inviting our customers in the messaging that we had been using 
But there were other segments that were more more successful and in, in how and confident in how they were growing their business and actually would be better customers for us because in order to effectively use a CRM sales and marketing automation tool in a small business, you need a business strategy, you need a big contact list, <laughs> you need to know right. what you have to say. Um, and so you need the bandwidth to send emails. Yes, all of that stuff. And so we were finding that if we when we looked at the this, the segmentation, and it turned out to be a, sec, a psychographic segmentation. So it wasn't, um, we didn't go into it trying to um, determine how we were going to segment, but that's what what, sh- what came out of it. And the attitudes that were within that group, we did have a kind of general market and um, panel, and then we had our own customers. And that's that's really given us a lot of food for thought about how do we attract the businesses that are the ones that are they're more stable, growing, that are that are have momentum and how do we speak to them a little bit differently because their goals are a little bit different, their concerns are a little bit different, but they're also less in pain, if that makes sense. So it's it's harder yeah. to attract them, it's harder to convert them because they don't necessarily have the same acute issues that the overwhelmed, which is what we called them, um, segment had. So it it has informed how we how we talk about our solution, how we think about targeting all sorts of things, but there's there's kind of a long tail on that. We're still working through that. I still go back to that um, to that research because it helps ground me in this is who's out there, this is what they're thinking about, and this is who we actually want. Even if it's easier to get this other segment, they're going to um, not retain as well. They're going to have be higher cost to serve them in our business. They're going to be less efficient overall. So we have to keep that in mind as we're building out our, our messaging and content strategy and, and think of it as an opportunity to, to really speak a little bit differently to the people that we most want. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that our business is, is pretty similar in that way. Uh, we call them the business building bills, which is just like, you know, when you're speaking with the owner themselves mm-hmm. um, and it's similar and like when we first started, you know, that was all that we really attracted. Uh, but as we, you know, got larger, we just naturally kind of found that because we're much smaller than you guys, I think. Like you guys probably have thousands or tens of thousands of customers where we just have dozens. But um, but no, it makes perfect sense. And do you want to know who I see using Keep a lot? Um, which I don't know if this is a segment that's on your radar or not, but I see a lot of these like information marketers mm-hmm. uh, using Keep. So think like Perry Marshalls of the world, or like even I think Grant Cardone might even use Keep. But those, I don't know if that's a segment that's on your radar, but um, for instance, if that, say that that were the segment, like mm-hmm. these information marketers, like they have lists. Yeah, they have funnels. You know, they have follow-up sequences already, right? Versus this like small micro business mm-hmm. who you know it's the owner who's overwhelmed, like overwhelmed owner. Um, you're right. The language would be different. The events that you would attend would be different. Mm-hmm. And like, if you wanted to zoom in on that, you know, information marketer, like, uh, why can't I think of any of them right now? But like. I already mentioned Perry Marshall, but like Jay Abraham, you know, basically anybody with like a funnel and a course, yeah. like an information course, yeah. you could zero into that market with the language, you know, like they all talk about lists. They talk about opt-in rates. They talk, mm-hmm. you know, like they have certain language they use. They have events that they go to. They have masterminds that they go to. So like that, that's a great example, I think, of mm-hmm. just 
it goes beyond knowing who your customer is. It's like, who are your best customers? And then how can you then, you know, double click into that and zoom into that? Yeah. And that is a, that is a big segment for us. And we do have, we have kind of legacy customers from the old Infusionsoft days, which it's the same product, but it, we we rebranded and added new product layers and, and levels. Um, but those those types of influencer creator types that have those that have courses that have complex funnels that have follow up um, that's definitely a great segment for us. And we are we are targeting them. We are working to attract more of them. And it, it it's also word of mouth between them, right? Like they, there's a lot of community in there. That, um, that speak to each other. So activating that and giving them information that they need for their own business um, and being useful to them is really important, but their needs are very different, as you noticed, um, than someone who's just starting out who, who, or who does a different type of business. So that really is a key segment for us. Yeah. So I have a difficult question for you, and Uh-oh. I don't expect you to have like the full answer for it, but it's something that I'm you know, still thinking through and still trying to figure out the best way to do. But so say that you have, you know, info marketers as a segment, and then say that there's like three or four other segments that, um, that you like as well. What are you doing? Like on the website side of things, like, for instance, would you be more prone to say, go like all in on one segment, like info marketers or to like have a homepage, which then like they self-segment into the segment that you want? Or like, how do you think about that from a web experience perspective? Once you have that insight that like, oh, the, this, this is really the segment that you want. Like, do you adjust all of your uh, messaging to that one? Or are you doing like some kind of personalization work? Like, how do you sort of, once you have the segment and the message, like what are you doing on the website, I guess is the question. Well, this is a very relevant conversation because we are working on a full website redo right now um, and and doing a lot of a lot of focus on that. And so it's a really hard question because what we have leaned on is more horizontal messaging, broad messaging um, that that hits all the segments. But but again, like being really specific is where you get the conversion, where you get the like aha moment on their side. Um, So what we have done is layered in more vertical and kind of use case pages. So when people are searching, they may not even treat the homepage as their entry point. We will get them some other way. So they're into their their specific type of use and need. And then we do have a, a drop down where we have people select by vertical um, in our homepage, kind of dr- drive them to that place faster if they do come through the homepage. So I think we're right now trying to have it always. And as we go through this process of doing a, re- a revision, we're we're having a lot of conversations about what do we prioritize most and how do we do that better. I do think web personalization and and doing some dynamic messaging is really the way, but that's hard to do well and consistently, and um, it's easier with return visitors. So you have to figure out how to do it best. But yeah, um, yeah that is a, a a constant question when we you have a vertical or sorry a horizontal solution that can work for a lot of different segments, um, and you need to figure out how to um, have that broad enough messaging, but also specific, um, on the website when it could just be anyone coming by. Yeah. And I mean, it gets harder when you get larger, you know, like when you're Mm -hmm. small, it's easy to just pick one and go all in. Right. And you'll double, triple, quadruple the business. And then you start thinking, okay, well, we've, 
you know, we've maxed out doctor's offices, mm -hmm. right? Like, what else are we going to do? Okay, we'll do dentists and nursing, you know? Yeah. Um, but at, at the size and scope of Keep, like, I think you're too large to just go all into one of them, probably. Correct. We've had to prioritize our top ones, and we've done a lot of looking at data to, to better understand who is most successful in the software. And that's been important for us to look at that as an input to market size, but also best customers and a lot around. Um, and also where are our big partners? We work through partners a lot. So some of them have vertical solutions that are very well developed. So we don't need to compete with them, but we want to amplify what they're doing and use their, their insight and knowledge to inform what we're doing. So we do have to find that balance and prioritize based on what is best for the business. And that has shifted over time. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Well, on the topic of keep, uh, I love win stories. Like, and and you told us one already where you you use data and you crystallize it down to insights to realize that, like, hey, you know, this this uh, overwhelmed SMB segment might not actually be the best segment for us. Um, do you have any other win stories or anything? What are you like most proud of? And I know you've only been there, it looks like maybe two or three years, but what are you most proud of when you think back over those two or three years? Yeah, I think there's a few things, but one thing that's really important, and I think marketers say this a lot, is alignment to sales. So there is, um, it, when I started, there was a lot more kind of sales is over here, marketing is over there. Marketing is incentivized on a prospect number, but not what happens next. So there, was, there just wasn't a shared sense of purpose, because if we could check that box as a marketing team and say, well, we sent you X number, we, we met our goal, and not look beyond that to how the conversion just even to sale and then their behavior as customers, et cetera. So when I, we've had to align all of our teams, but I've built a relationship with our sales leader, um, VP of sales, who was recently promoted to CRO. And mm -hmm. I, I think there was a kind of recognition that we we like each other um shout out to jennifer irwing she's my my partner in crime i nice. love working with her i learn from her every day she's very direct she's she's revenue driven in the most like non um bs way i love it and and she kind of takes me into the that world and 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 like i use a lot of jargon sometimes with marketing we all get into our space and she's like well what does that mean to me <laughs> what does that mean to the yeah. people on the floor right so yeah. I love that. And, um, but there hadn't been a good relationship between sales and marketing and that leadership, not necessarily being aligned, had filtered down to how the teams were behaving, how teams were incentivized, the talk tracks that people had about each other. And yeah. so by leading the way and working closely together and requiring our teams to, to connect and think about um, feedback loops and talk about it and have dialogue, um, that's made a big difference in how we, we operate and, and, and that shared sense of purpose and meeting goals. So there, awesome. that has been, uh, I would say, a, a great learning relationship for me that's expanded my own kind of purview and my own professional growth, but also the teams being able to be connected to that group in a, a very um, awesome way. So that's, we've started there and now we're working our way through um, customer success and getting more closely aligned to product. But it, that was um, that was really required to be successful and to really understand how to fix our funnel because the feedback that they had was was vital and important, and their that feedback loop just was not um, operating in the in an optimal way, and it has it has to be to be successful. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Shout out to Jennifer and shout out to you <laughs> for doing that because 
There's no force on earth that can stop a well-aligned sales and marketing team. Yeah, we we are out there fighting the fight together. And I think that's, that's awesome. important. <laughs> How'd that happen? Did you guys just like click immediately and become fast friends? Or did you... um did you have to approach her in a certain way or how did you, how did you become so close? I think we just, yeah, I think it just, um, it helps that we, we, we clicked interpersonally and you can't manufacture that sometimes. Like you can't make that happen. It just is lucky, but, but she was part of the interview process and I, I wanted to hear from her and I think she recognized that I wanted to, to take the feedback and she saw immediately that um, I was listening and I was taking that feedback. We were, I was sharing it with my team. We were problem solving around it. And that, that built trust. Like this, this feedback isn't just going to go out into a, a void. Like we're going to activate around it. I asked um, to meet with her team really early because I wanted to hear their perspective on the leads they were getting, the kinds of customers they were getting. What does that conversation look and feel like? How can we orchestrate something that's going to feel more um, more effective and, and work better for them. So there was a lot of curiosity. So I, I think leading with those questions, I also listen to sales calls. And I think that's something that um, it, it, it can be burdensome and it, it take time, right? Be, it feels like it shouldn't be something you have to do all the time. But I think it's really important to have your pulse on what are those conversations like? And that's something that I, I have done in other roles that I, I think you have to get into their world. And that is a very direct way to do it. Um, yeah. And they appreciate that when when you demonstrate that you're willing to put the time in to really ask questions, take their feedback, listen, and break down some of the barriers. Um, and that and that doesn't mean we don't say no or push back or say, hey, this is why we're doing something. But now there's more of a dialogue so we can educate each other. We can have more regular conversations. And I do think that has to be in place for things to work optimally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And um Props to you also for listening to sales calls. That can be really illuminating. <laughs> uh, yes. But in my experience, like what, anytime that we're working with a client, I always jump at the chance to get sales involved. And the reason is because they spend the whole day, you know, talking to the customer. Mm -hmm. And so even if they know nothing about copywriting, they can often write like some fire copy or like tell mm -hmm. you, you know, the actual messaging that's going to work. Um, Absolutely. And I, I experienced that as a consultant, too, um, in working agency settings. Similarly, like if you want to know what customers are asking or what content to prioritize, um, ask, talk to sales, because they'll tell you this is the questions that come up every time. And so we have those conversations. Should we put this? We need to we need to talk about this in our website. We need to talk about this in our funnel um, to get ahead of some of those questions. But they they have their pulse on what's actually going on in a way that I think marketing can be just kind of separated from. Um, and that's true of customer success as well. Like go out and talk about what, what, what are the questions that our customers are asking? How do we use that to inform what we're doing in content strategy? So they really are invaluable sources of data, essentially, um, to, to help you figure out your strategy. But uh, something that you said there when I asked, you know, like, how did it happen with Jennifer? You mentioned that there was a natural click, which is always useful, but you did some things other than that, that I think listeners yeah. could benefit from, like anytime going into a new marketing role, you took a genuine sense of curiosity toward it. Mm -hmm. um, you were proactive. It, you demonstrated interest and curiosity, which I think made her and the sales team feel important. Yeah. You know, it made them feel like they mattered, like you cared, and 
that's like uh, How to Win Friends 101. That's one of my favorite books, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Everybody that works here like reads that in the first week. That's great. And it's it's simple stuff, you know, but one of the things is that everybody wants to feel important, you know? So, and there's some CMOs that might go into an org uh, with no negative intention, but with a lot of things that they plan on changing or like a lot of their own plans versus like instead being curious and interested to learn about like what's on the other person's mind. So I think that was, you delivered like a mini, a mini masterclass just there and like how to create that natural click, you know, cause when you approach it like that, then, then the click is pretty natural, I think. I agree. And I think that there's, um, there's just people love to, to talk about their day, right? And what they're experiencing and what their ideas are. And so if you can unlock that and then, again, use that insight to, to, to help you hone what you're doing and, and improve their experience. We want those conversations um, with customers, with leads to go really well. And so that it helps. It's, it's mutually beneficial um, to have that, that connection and that curiosity. It's going to help marketers do their job better when you deeply understand kind of what's happening in those, in those situations. Um, and, and I think that is undervalued and, and we often spend more time telling people what we want to do versus again, listening, that's a theme, um, to, yeah. to what's going on and how, how, what needs improvement. Yeah. Like imagine, so imagine on that first meeting, if you're like, Hey, Jennifer, like I spent some time listening to some sales calls, like she's going to sit up in her chair at that point. Like, Oh, you did. Mm -hmm. And then if you say you guys are fucking fire. Like you guys are killing it. And you stop there and like play the silent, you know, the silence game and the listening game. Like she's going to open up and start talking mm -hmm. versus if you're like, you know, I've listened to some sales calls, you guys are doing great, but I've got some ideas, you know, then that would cause sort of like a defensive pullback mm -hmm. theoretically. But if yeah. you just like deliver that compliment and let the compliment sit in silence, then that's the thing that's hard to do. Like you you listen to some sales calls, you do have some ideas, but if you can hold off just a little while before delivering those ideas and instead deliver just like a compliment followed by silence, then I, I think that's like real how to win friends. Yeah. And it's, it's sometimes hard to do, right? Cause so hard. When, <laughs> when you listen to things, you think, oh, well, I would have done this differently or or whatever, but you haven't walked in their shoes and they have right. a totally different set of experiences. And usually people at work are doing things for logical reasons. You just might not understand them. So um, if they're having to say something, you're like, why are they saying that? Well, it's because they're anticipating a, comp uh, a question. They're they're used to this kind of you know person and they want to get them off the phone. They know they're not going to be a fit, good fit. There could be lots of things going on that until you you listen for a bit and until you show that curiosity, you're not going to really understand what what's going on. So if you're too quick to give recommendations, you lose a lot of credibility. And I do think that also from agency life, like you, that's the game. Like finding the building the credibility to give the recommendations um, is important, and showing that curiosity is an important part of that discovery process. So so working in those settings was definitely like you hone that every day. You're, you're talking to people, you're working on that. Um, because if you come out with recommendations that feel disconnected to to the boots on the ground or the reality, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to hire you again. And they're going to say thanks a lot and smile at you and then not call you back, in my experience. Right. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 
it sounds like you guys are doing amazing things. I'm inspired myself right now to reread how to win friends and influence people and to, you know, deliver some genuine compliments to my team with no buts attached to them. Right. Um, so golf clap for you guys. You guys are, are killing it. Thank you. Well, that's very kind of you. We're, we're in it every day. It's a tough market selling to small businesses. And yeah. so you have to be um, humble, understand their world, and just keep trying, keep experimenting as much as you can. Yeah. And speaking of tough market, I'm curious, like, what are some of the biggest challenges that you guys are facing or what's keeping you up at night? Well, we have a very, very competitive space. Um, there's a lot of tools. They have absolutely proliferated in the last 10 years um, for both small business and enterprise. So there's a lot of um, expectation for business owners to sort through a lot of information uh, coming at them <laughs> about technology. And um, so so we have to fight for those views. We have to fight for, you know, out in the marketplace for attention as a smaller uh, brand relative to some others. And and that's that keeps us up at night, building that brand awareness, building that um, credibility. Um, when you have such a large market, where do you focus? And and the biggest se segments of the market are solopreneurs and, and folks who probably aren't ready for the solution. So um, brand awareness keeps us up at night, being in the right places with the right messaging and designing experience that's going to attract the, the, the types of customers that are really ready for the solution that are going to get the most out of it. So um, we're working, as I said, on a, a website um, redo or just revamp. And that's a lot of thinking deeply about messaging and looking at data um, and, and getting into some of that, you know, foundational strategy stuff that is constantly needs to be tended to and looked at and improved. So yeah. that's definitely keeping us up at night and um, and just how to be less um, reliant on on paid sources of 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 leads and attention and and build that organic presence and that community. So we know that when we can connect business owners with each other and they get talking, um, that's where the real magic comes and they refer and they talk about what's working for them. Other business owners want to hear from them. So more customer stories and more community is, is an area of focus for us as well. We're investing in that and doing different things to, to activate around that, as well as getting our partners to do more of that for us and lead the way with their kind of their content as well. Mm, that's smart. That's really smart. Yeah. Um, are you, uh, are there any brands that you think are like really doing an awesome job in terms of activating that community that you guys are kind of like modeling off of, or are you, um, kind of just like coming up with a fresh approach? I think I have lots that, that inspire me. HubSpot is a direct competitor. does a great job at this, um, creating yeah. content, creating community, being the authority in lots of areas. Um, so I listen to a lot of their their content and podcasts and and various things because I think they do a good job um, at speaking to folks at lots of different levels of their career and types of businesses. But um, probably one that I I am not a customer of Sixth Sense, which is a an intent data platform. Hopefully I'm getting that right. But they've created a CMO community that I'm in that has amazing conversations, and I'm I I think connecting people be, who have a need to be connected and and want to talk about things other than your solution. And to host that space and to allow those conversations to proliferate and put a lot of um, investment in who's there and enabling that. And so it's a long game for sure, but it creates huge 
brand awareness, but also brand affi- like affinity, like real, real appreciation, which I think right. that's pretty incredible. So I think they've done a really good job at being an authority, speaking to um, to CMOs and, and marketing leaders and creating space for people to connect to each other, aligning to influencers in the market and letting them speak for them. So there's a lot to, to admire in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Well, I am really enjoying this conversation. The time is just flying by. I feel like I could talk with you for hours. Um, but I think that we have pretty much covered most of what we wanted to cover. The only thing left on my uh, notes here was just to ask about the future. Like, what are you guys prioritizing? What's what's uh, on the agenda? You've already mentioned the new website, which is a massive undertaking. You've mm-hmm. mentioned community. You've mentioned more organic and less paid, um, which is a lot. And I think that's, that's sufficient lot. to answer that question. <laughs> Um, but is there anything else future focused that you want to talk about? Like any maybe new products or product features or something that you're doing with AI or anything else future yeah. forward that you want to mention? Yeah, we're we're talking a lot about how um, we're marketers marketing to people who may or may not be marketers themselves, but need to learn marketing. And that yeah. world is changing constantly. So the the co- topic of AI is very much something that we're we're experimenting with our own processes, but also the product team is is integrating AI capabilities into the product and thinking about how do we shortcut um, some of the learning that has to take place and how do we enable people to be really effective from the jump? We don't want to give them an open sandbox necessarily, even though our, our really best customers who have a lot of marketing experiences, influencer types that you're thinking of, um, they can they can enter into an open playground of an empty app and figure out how to set it all up exactly how it fits their business. But most of our customers um, need some handholding through that and need um, really would like to shortcut that as much as possible with pre-built stuff, with templates, um, because the biggest question that they have coming in is, you know, what are other business owners like me do here? (laughs) What is successful? So, So trying to do that in the product as well as we can, building that out further, integrating AI into that process, really thinking about that user journey, and then amplifying that in marketing so they understand what they're coming into and they're pre-educated and they understand what they need to think about as they come into that um, onboarding experience and just how they run their business in general. That's, I think that that is a key to making people successful in a very kind of red ocean of different options is how do we just shortcut that that onboarding and learning process and get them confident because we're we're really elevating the data that we know here's what works here's when we look at automating businesses we've seen a lot of successful um, co- small businesses grow and this is what they're doing and and if we can shortcut that process and that insight to the customer um, that benefits everybody yeah absolutely i mean i know from experience having having onboarded marketing automation ourselves, as well as done so for many clients, large and small, like there's a lot that goes into it. You it know? is, yeah. Um, yeah. However, I, there is certainly some 80-20. Uh, and I'll just give you like a quick idea here, but really it's like the list, like getting the list in um, and maybe like a landing page template. Mm-hmm that they can clone, you know? Yep. Those We've are really, some that's of those. Like kind yep. of the 80, 20. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's true. Like there's so much changing, but some of those things don't change, right? Like they stay the same being compelling, 
um, being succinct and and giving the structure for how to do that well, so people don't have to think about it too much and can just plug in, plug and play as much as possible with their own brand and messaging um, is really important. Oh, do you want to know what I think could be like an awesome module that you could probably use AI to build? Um, many businesses, both large and small, uh, struggle coming up with good offers. Mm -hmm. And that's bread and butter for the info marketing crew. Like, you know, that's question number one is like, what's the offer? Yeah. And how can we make the offer so good that people feel dumb saying no to it? Right. Um, but if there was like, like if the onboarding process was like, hey, let's get your lists in place. Let's get you like a landing page template that you can clone and use. And let's create your first offer that you can send mm -hmm. out to your list. Like they could theoretically be making like earning revenue within 48 hours. Yeah, it's a good it's a good suggestion. That's part of the onboarding conversation. But we can even bring that even forward in that and and offer more insight into what works, doesn't work. Um, and that interesting enough, one of the the top content pieces on our website is about structuring your offer and pro and how to build promotions that convert and things like that because that's just you know bread like you said bread and butter <laughs> basis of of marketing that people struggle with how to how to structure this so someone can't say no right that's what we're all trying to do yeah even large companies like you'd yeah. be amazed we work with some large b2b's and you talk to them about an offer and they just like look at you like a deer in a headlights like and they're all just like hey you know, free trial or like sit for a demo, like that's the extent of an offer or like the ebook offer. Mm -hmm. um, but I love taking inspiration from some of these info marketers like Alex Hormozy. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but um, that's one of my sort of go-to plays is to like look at the sort of bleeding edge, like D2Cs, what they're doing, and then bring it over to the B2Bs. It's smart because I think that we can lose sight of what the what's in it for me, right? So simple. But is a demo or a free trial you didn't ask for or you don't need in this moment really an offer that you're going to jump at? <laughs> it's like, right. what, what is something that someone's going to jump at, right? That that Figuring that out, um, I get a lot of calls from SDRs and email. You know, we all get inundated with stuff. And it's pretty rare that something stands out to have enough value that I'm going to sit up and be like, oh, okay, this I want to do this. And it just feels like you could hone your program so much and cut out so much noise if you just really thought about the person on the other side of that and what they're what they need what what they care about in a different way yeah 100 percent. the basics cool well um kirsten this has been really a lot of fun and i actually could go for hours talking with you uh, but i'm very sensitive to your time do you want to do the lightning round let's do it and yeah i've enjoyed this immensely i love talking about marketing so it, it's always fun to do it i appreciate cool. the questions absolutely Cool. Well, uh, lightning round question number one is, if you were to start a side hustle, what side hustle would that be? Well, this is easy. I do a lot of baking and it's kind of a cliche. The marketer turned, you know, cupcake baker or something. Yeah. We all want to have something tangible at the end of the day when you're working digital all the time. But, um, but my mother is Danish and we are a pretty good duo making um, interesting Scandinavian treats. So I could do the marketing. She could do more of the baking and recipes and we'd be at your local farmer's market. Um, and I, I think I would enjoy that. Brilliant. That sounds like a lot yeah. of fun. You could probably <laughs> I have ideas all the time though. For, yeah, for side hustles though. So that's what it is today. That's awesome. Cool. Question number two is um, top three books or authors or influencers or even podcasts or 
anything that has really um, had an impact in your career? Yeah. So I, um, there's so many, but I, I really enjoy Brene Brown and I listen to her content all the time and have read her books. That's larger than, than just career and professional, but she also has a lot of insight for leaders and how to, and how to kind of think about your role and how to integrate teams and think about how people bring their best selves to work and how do you create an environment where that's possible. So um, I'm a big kind of super fan of her work and the conversations that she creates around how to to be the best possible leader. Um, so I bring that with me. I, I enjoy that. I've been really enjoying Adam Grant's content and I haven't read any of his books, but I, I follow him and listen to his um, organizational psychology again. Um, I kind of over-index and in, in being interested in that kind of stuff because how do you get the most out of your team? How do you create work environments that are conducive to creativity and um, and and you get the best um, environment for people to 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 be vulnerable, to try things, to experiment, um, and be be effective? So I I follow a lot of those types of folks who think about um, team structure and organizing work and people's motivations and how to tap into them. Um, and then I would say the the third thing that's been really impactful is I um, I worked for a product design agency and learned about design thinking, um, and and kind of have applied a lot of those concepts to building customer experience and buyer journeys that are that are that really take stakeholder motivations into account and try to try to build something that's that's going to actually work because it speaks to someone in a very specific way. So problem solving strategies from the world of product design and UX have been applied at the kind of operational level have been really helpful for me to think about the systems that we oversee as marketers. They gave all the the technology, all the people, all the all the different touch points and trying to put maps of things and intentionality behind what's happening and fixing things in a very specific way. Um, that has been hugely important. And I I love IDEO, the agency that that kind of originated a lot of these ideas. And listen to a lot of their content because it keeps me inspired, and and I do think it's very practical tools that you can apply day to day. Cool, yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. So we'll definitely link to all three of those in the show notes. Thank you. And question number three is, how do you avoid burnout, and how do you help your team also to avoid burnout? Yeah, I don't know that I'm always the best at avoiding burnout. I've definitely had times in my life where I've had to learn the hard way. Yeah. Um, so what I what I try to do is. Um, is think about what's causing the burnout and problem solve around that. Sometimes it's just sheer volume of work. And then I can kind of diagnose, like, I need to take more time away. Um, I believe in taking vacation and taking true vacations and breaks. Um, and I encourage my team to do that at Keep. We we have a, a, a policy that's very liberal about taking time when you need it. And so I think that's really important to, to stay refreshed and date, and that you can apply some of the same principles day to day. If, if the work's not happening, it feels laborious, and you you need to do something else. I try to switch my focus to to fit what's feeling inspiring today, because I think for me, burnout really comes not just from the volume of work, because I like to, you know, I I, I like to work a lot, I grind, um, kind of in any situation, but it's also the the meaning behind it, the connection to it. So I try to find that and reframe it and feel more energized, um, and that helps me. You know, avoid feeling burnt out. So I think burnout comes when you feel like you don't have as much control or inspiration. Um, and so I try to give space for that for myself and also for the team to tap into that and to to look widely outside of our own walls and to find that inspiration. I think that's important. But also to that. take breaks and to rest because we need rest. And that has been a lesson as a as a working parent, as a 
you know, just human in the world the last few years, like rest is important. And I did not prioritize that enough earlier in my career. And I've had yeah. to learn that how to do it. And I'm not always the best um, at taking my own advice. So it's right. a constant process. So do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. I try tried to do more of the resting, trying to do more of the um the the giving space and taking vacation. I I I really um used to blend my worlds way too much with that and and work through family time and try to eke out time at night too much um, to do both things. And I wasn't doing as, as well as I could at either. So really time blocking too, de- you know, deciding what I'm going to focus on what and, and sticking to some boundaries with that has been an important thing for me too. Yeah. I love that. Well, uh, for everybody listening, if you love that, or if you laughed a little bit today, or if you learned anything, Drop us a like, a comment, share this with a friend, or give us a five-star review wherever you get your pods. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, Kirsten, for everybody listening, if they'd like to learn more about you or Keep, where would you direct them? Yeah, for me, um, LinkedIn is where I'm at. Um, and then for Keep, keep.com is, is the best place to get information. Love it. All right, Kirsten, stay on the line just one second. We'll wrap up. And for everybody else, this has been another exciting episode of Revenue Driven CMO, and we will see you next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS, Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, Web Mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.